Thank you, Sam. Father, we pray that as we consider your word today, Lord God, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to understand the spiritual food that we're receiving. Lord, we pray that you might be glorified in this gathering today, and Lord, that through the hearing of the word, you might be glorified in each and every life in this room. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now today, as we consider the account in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, of Jesus healing this woman with the issue of blood and of the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, I want for you to recognize we're going to be touching on three key doctrines. A doctrine is simply a teaching, okay? We're going to be focusing on faith, healing, and salvation. Those three key doctrines. And I want for you to see today, through this passage, how these three doctrines relate to one another. How the power of Christ is brought to bear, is appropriated by this thing that we call faith. I want for you to note also the Lord's response to the faith of Jairus and to the faith of the woman who he heals. I also want for us to consider the nature of faith. What is faith? What does it consist of? Where does it spring from? And how does it manifest? There have been many, many teachings on faith. I'm sure you've heard many before. But I want for us to consider this doctrine of faith as we look together at this passage. Also, what can this passage teach us today about the subject of supernatural healing? Because that's what happens, isn't it? We have two accounts, two separate women being supernaturally healed by Jesus. What can this teach us about supernatural healing? And what is the relationship of faith to supernatural healing? There are many teachings on this subject of healing that have been taught from this passage and many of them center on the role of faith in healing. And this is an area, I think, where there's been a lot of confusion in the body of Christ and therefore a lot of hurt and damage that's been caused by error when handling the Word of God. That is why we must proceed today with caution, with care as we unpack the Word of God. Finally, I want for us to take a moment as we pass through these two doctrines, looking at faith, looking at healing, and I want for us, as if pausing in a walk through a valley, to cast our eyes up and look up to the mountaintops, to the lofty summits above, because I think if we do, we shall catch a glimpse of the glory of God's great work in saving sinners just like you. I think if there's a summit of revelation in this scripture, if there's a mountaintop, a pinnacle of teaching in this passage, it's actually the doctrine of salvation. So let's start in verse 21. I'm going to do my best to work through this passage verse by verse today. Uh, stick with me. Uh, we're going to be moving at some pace. So, as you remember, Mark's gospel, the gospel of Mark, it's the shortest gospel. It's also agreed to be the earliest gospel 
written perhaps in around between 40 and 50 AD, and it is the testimony, the eyewitness testimony of the apostle Peter. And Peter recounts for us that after the deliverance of the demoniac man on the eastern shore of the Galilee, they crossed back over the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Now that would be the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now there is a large town on the western shore called Tiberias. However, we don't believe it was to Tiberias that Jesus traveled in this instance. Uh, We believe it was actually Capernaum. And we read then that a man comes, Jairus by name, sees Jesus and falls at his feet. He's met immediately again by a man who falls at his feet, just like in last week's passage. Although this time it's not a demon-possessed man, it is actually somebody of some standing in the community. We're told it's a ruler of the synagogue. Now it's important to remember this wouldn't have been like a pastor or a scribe or a Pharisee. A ruler of a synagogue wasn't responsible for teaching in the synagogue, but they were responsible for taking care of all the practical, organizational, and kind of management issues of the building and the functions. Nevertheless, this Jairus man would have been quite an influential character in the area, and it's likely that Peter actually knew Jairus by name. He knew him personally because we're told his name. This man Jairus comes and falls at Jesus' feet and begs him to heal his daughter. I want to take a moment just to say a few things about this because nothing in Scripture is there by accident. There's no such thing as an accidental slip of the pen when we're reading the Word of God. Everything is there for a reason and everything points to something concerning Christ or concerning things of God. So, Why would it be important that the scriptures record for us that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and begged him, implored him to heal his daughter? Well, I want for you to note that these are not the actions of a cool, calculated, austere man. Jairus is desperate. Jairus is past caring what those around him might think about him. Did you notice that? He's in need. He's in desperate need. He's in pain. And he knows that Jesus is the only hope that he has left for his daughter. Here's the first thing that we can learn about faith today. True faith, faith that actually moves Christ always comes to him with some level of desperation. It doesn't stroll coolly up to Christ. True faith doesn't stroll up to Christ. It's not aloof. It doesn't treat Christ as an equal. It's not complacent. It doesn't appraise Jesus. Weigh him up and see, ah, are you really worth my time? True Faith falls at the feet of Christ. True faith is desperate, it's needy, it sees Christ as the only answer to a desperate, pressing, urgent need. I want you to see that true faith, just like Jairus' faith, is not ashamed of looking foolish in pursuit of Jesus. 
It's not looking to the opinions of men. It's too busy seeking Jesus. True faith is always driven by need. It flows out of an acknowledgement that we need Jesus. We're not enough on our own. There can be no faith, no true faith, where there is this attitude of self-sufficiency. Which is exactly what the world preaches. I am enough. Where that belief is held, there can't be any true faith. You are not enough. Otherwise, there'd be no need for Christ to come into this world as we celebrate in just four weeks' time. Faith reaches out when you reach the end of yourself. I want to ask you, have, re- have you reached the end of yourself? Do you recognize your need of Jesus today? Do you consider that life and death are impossible without him then it sounds to me like you have the basis of faith too many I think today in the health wealth and prosperity gospel world they they treat Jesus like a cash cow they treat Jesus you know like a magic lamp you know if you rub him the right way he'll give you whatever it is you're looking for and they don't approach Jesus with a desperate need they approach him like a gambling machine you know push the right buttons put the amount of money in that you want and you'll get what you want from him they don't treat him like Jairus does and they are looking to the opinions of men they are looking to see what others will think of them they approach Jesus with a cool and a calculated kind of mindset It's not how Jairus approached Jesus. It's not true faith. It's a worldly counterfeit. To to come to Christ and try and use him to get what you want from him, let me tell you, that's not faith. That's manipulation. That's manipulation. True faith isn't some kind of mystical superpower that you wield. And that's how it's taught. Many teach faith as if it's some kind of thing that you need to harness and then direct in certain places. And, you know, this faith will actually help you to kind of cash in, you know, on all of heaven's promises. And these faith healers and faith teachers will teach you how to utilize this secret weapon to get whatever it is you want, whether that's money, fame, influence, notoriety, right? That's not what faith is. That's false teaching, brothers and sisters. Faith, true faith, biblical faith, as it's taught by the Bible, is simple. It's just a childlike trust. That's all it is. Greek word pistis, from faith, believe. It's just a trust that comes to Jesus empty-handed and believes him. Just believes him. doesn't just believe in Jesus, but it believes him at his word. Now, Jesus actually hears Jairus' plea and he follows him. He follows him and we hear that a large crowd is in tow. And this crowd is 
so close up against Jesus, it's pressing against him. And I want you to just take a moment and imagine how Jairus might be feeling in this moment. He's beginning to walk back to his house, the place where his daughter is lying at death's door. But now, instead of walking with fear and dejection and hopelessness, you can imagine now the hope just flowing through him. Why? Because Jesus is walking with him. Jesus is walking with him. That's the only change in the circumstances. And I want for you to think about this for a moment. How different your mindset might be when you're walking into whatever trial it is you're going to walk into this week. How different your mindset might be if you knew Jesus is walking with you. How differently might you think about that situation, that broken relationship, that difficult boss, that challenging work life. How differently might you feel if you knew Jesus was with you? I believe that ought to change our mindset, the way that we see our circumstances. We know Christ is in his children. Through the Holy Spirit, it's Christ in us who is the hope of glory. That should change our mindset. Amen? Now, this procession to Jairus' home, we read, is interrupted. There's an interruption. A woman who we're told has had a discharge of blood for 12 years interrupts the procession. Now, her condition would certainly have been very serious at the time. It would have been debilitating. It would have been life-altering. Moreover, amongst the Jews, it, it made her ceremonially unclean. So for 12 years, not only would she have been suffering and sick and ill and and losing strength, she would have actually been effectively ostracized from her community. She'd have been set apart from those she, she loved. Anybody who touched her, even her husband, would be made unclean as well. Can you even imagine that? Not only had she suffered physically, she suffered the shame of being unclean, the pain of being separated from all those who she loved. Now we're told that she actually had spent all that she had trying to fix the problem. Luke mentions that. Spent all that she had on physicians trying to make things better. But actually it only made things worse. So she's tried everything that she can to fix this problem. She's given it all she could to the cause of getting better. But it hadn't made any difference. She got worse. The best medical wisdom of the time hadn't been able to help her. Now, there are people, I think, in this world, maybe even in this building, who sense that there is something wrong with their lives. There's something that's out of kilter. They sense an emptiness inside them. You ever met anybody like this? They, they know there's an emptiness within, and they don't like it. They don't like the feeling of it. And they want to fix it. They want to fill that emptiness. And so what they do is they spend all they've got, all their money, all their time, all their energy desperately trying to fill that hole in their lives. They head out to the world and they take the best that the world has to offer. Entertainment, spiritual practices, pleasures, worldly religions, and they try to fill that gaping more in their lives but nothing works in fact it only makes things worse 
How many of you have met people like that? Pleasure seekers. The world offers many expensive solutions to problems that only God can fix. Amen? If you're here today or listening to this word right now and you know that's you, I pray the Spirit gives you witness and opens your eyes to that. And you stop spending all your money and all your time and all your energy trying to fill a gap that only God can fill. And this poor woman has heard reports about Jesus, we're told. She's been told things about him. And it's given her fresh hope. I think that's interesting. We hear that this lady, we read that she's heard reports about Jesus. And that's why she's there. She's heard something about him. She's heard something about him. And I think this is why we must never stop looking for opportunities to share the gospel. This is why we must never be discouraged when we head out onto the streets on Thursdays and we're preaching and reaching out and telling people about Christ and they just walk by. And it seems like nobody cares. Because that woman was likely just like that. She'd probably walked through the streets of Capernaum and heard somebody talking about this crazy Jesus person that had just cast out a demon in the synagogue. She never maybe even stopped to ask a question. She just walked on. But she'd heard something. She'd heard something. She went home with that report about Jesus and she couldn't let it go. Now, each and every one of us when we do evangelism, we must remember every time we share the gospel, it's a seed that we're sowing that the Holy Spirit can water. Even if it feels like nobody's taking a jot of notice, we continue to share because we know one day the Spirit might water that seed and there might be germination, amen? There might be a change. There might be that person coming back to a meeting or walking into a church one day because they heard a report about Jesus that gave them hope. Hallelujah. Now, even though... um, She's heard about Jesus, she's come. We, 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 we know that this is an interesting way to exercise your faith, isn't it? It's not something we've heard about in the Gospels before. Somebody coming and saying, if I just touch Jesus' clothes, I don't need to talk to him. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. This is, this is different. It almost sounds a little bit superstitious, kind of like not really Jewish, right? It's kind of more pagan. It's an interesting way to uh, use your faith, but that's exactly what she did. And she's immediately healed. Immediately healed. Completely healed. It's incredible. Now we know that this story of the the lady reaching out and touching the hem of the garment, we know it spread right around the Galilee because later on in Jesus' ministry, he goes across to the other side of the Galilee, to the Gentile lands, what we were talking about last week. And guess what? There's a bunch of ladies that are following him saying, let's touch your garment, we'll be healed. And they're all reaching out and trying to touch his garment. And they all get healed. Isn't that incredible? This one story of this lady. Everybody starts copying her. And they all get healed too. Amazing. Now, um, I think it's important to just say a few things about this miracle in passing. There's so much I could say and I don't have time. But I do want to just camp on a few things, just talk about this issue of healing. Because this lengthy, serious health issue that this lady has is healed completely, completely in a moment. One touch from Jesus, 
she's healed. Now, I, I want to camp on this just a second, just make a few points about it, if that's okay. Now, lots has been said about this particular miracle. If you've been in church for any portion of time at all, you probably heard about the woman, the hem of the garment, the healing. I want to mention a few things in passing. Jesus healed then, and Jesus heals now. Amen? He healed all sorts of conditions then, and he heals all sorts of conditions now. He can heal completely with just one touch. Now, just as he did then. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that Jesus, the same today, yesterday, and forever, has not stopped healing those who come to him with faith. Why do I believe that? Do I believe that because I'm a charismatic? Do I believe that because I've seen it happen? I believe that because it's biblical. I believe that because it's in the Bible. Jesus heals and he still does today. Amen? You can be biblical and believe in healing for today. Now, a few things I want to say in clarification of that. Jesus is clearly compassionate. He's clearly somebody who cares about your pains. He cares about what's happening in your life. And he heals, interestingly, in this passage of Scripture, according to the level of faith that Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood had. He heals according to faith today. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is simply this. Jairus had faith, didn't he, for Jesus to come to his house. He says, if you will just come to my house and lay hands on my daughter, she'll be made well. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't turn and say, well, actually, Jairus, I could heal her from here. I did it a few weeks back. There was a centurion, he came to me, and I healed his servant remotely from here. I could do that for you, um, so I'll do that. Jesus doesn't say that. And he doesn't do that, does he? Why? Because Jairus' level of faith involved Jesus coming and laying hands on his daughter. Which is interesting. Now, in the same way, this woman comes out of the blue and she touches Jesus' garment. She was unclean. By the law, that would have made Jesus unclean because she touched him. He doesn't turn to her and say, sorry, your healing's invalidated because you're unclean. You made me, sorry, I'm not going to heal you. Neither does he turn and say, actually, uh, that's not how it works. You, you have to speak to me first and then I'll heal you. What am I trying to say? Well, number one, Jairus doesn't get rebuked for not having the same faith as the centurion. You remember in Luke's gospel, the centurion is praised. Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. He's commended for that faith. But Jairus doesn't get rebuked for not having the same faith, does he? And Jesus doesn't say, I'm not going to heal your daughter because the level of faith that you have isn't quite what I'm looking for. He still heals his daughter. He still heals this woman, even though she's touched him and she's unclean. And it's a bit weird. He still heals her. 
What am I saying? Well, brothers and sisters, the fact that Jesus acts according to the level of faith that we have in a given circumstance should embolden us. It should embolden us. It should give us courage because if he responds to the level of our faith, then we can start believing him for big things. Amen? We can lean into Jesus for big things. We can believe him for bigger than we currently believe. You know? Even if we've got weak faith, it doesn't mean we're not going to get what we ask for. But we should be encouraged, I think, to believe for more and believe bigger. Now, I'm going to come and respond to a few counter questions that might be popping up in your mind in a moment. But I just want to say this as well. I think it's really interesting that these women on the other side of the Galilee copy the woman who catches hold of his garment. I think it's very interesting. And I think it's human nature, isn't it, to try and copy methods that we see getting results, isn't it? That's what we do. We see people in Jesus' day doing that. We see people doing that today. But I want to say this. I I think it's very important that we don't get mixed up in our thinking by thinking that it's the method that got the woman healed. Okay? It wasn't the method of faith that healed the woman with the issue of blood. It was Jesus. It was Jesus, wasn't it, that healed her? Not the specific method. I actually think that Jesus was being gracious when he healed all those other women on the other side. He thought, oh, here we go. Crazy fanatics. They they think it's the method that's going to get them healed. The hem of the garment faith. Somebody's already probably sold a bunch of cassette tapes on that side of the Galilee about touching the hem of the garment and the, you know, phone in and get your free CD or whatever. But um, he probably just healed them out of grace. He's like, oh, here they are, nutters, be healed, right? It wasn't the technique that got them healed, okay? There's no power in the technique or the method of faith, in the grabbing. There's no power in the hem itself. The power was in Jesus, wasn't it? It was in Jesus. And it was faith in Christ that got the healing. Not faith in the method. Not faith in the garment. And not faith in faith. I think a lot of Christians and a lot of prosperity gospel preachers have got faith in their own faith. That faith ain't going to attract the power of Christ, let me tell you now. Only faith in Christ receives the power of Christ. So our faith, brothers and sisters, is not to rest in our declarations, in saying certain prayers and certain words. Our faith has got to rest solely in Christ. In Him and His promises alone. Now let me just respond to a few counter questions here. What about when people don't get healed? Talking about healing, I think this is a good one to talk about. I can't go into it in too much detail, but let me say a few things. Why is it that some don't get healed? Is it because they grabbed the hem wrong? They didn't quite get the right purchase on the hem of the garment? Maybe they didn't hold on to the hem of the garment quite long enough. I'm using metaphors here, but I think you understand what I'm saying. You're smiling because you know those suggestions are absurd. You know that's absurd. 
But sadly, many Christians have been taught things like that about their healing. They've been taught that if they're not healed, it's their fault. You're not healed because you didn't tarry long enough. You didn't declare the right phrases. You didn't approach God in the right way. But I want to remind you again, the faith that this woman showed was not orthodox. It was a bit strange, a little superstitious, but Jesus healed her. We know that Jairus' faith wasn't perfect. We, we know that from this passage, he began to doubt. He began to doubt when his people came and said, sorry, you know, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus has to turn to him and, and encourage him and, and say, don't fear, only believe. Jairus' faith wavered. It wasn't perfect. Did it prevent his daughter from being healed? No. She was raised from the dead. There's even an account in, in John chapter 5 of Jesus healing a lame man. The lame man didn't even know who he was. Didn't even know him from Adam. And Jesus heals him. The point being, Jesus healed all these people who had imperfect or even weak or next to no faith in him. Doesn't that surprise you? Even a weak faith gets a powerful savior. Hallelujah. Even a weak faith gets a powerful savior. That doesn't mean that you get to stay with a weak faith. It doesn't mean that weak faith forever is commendable. We're supposed to let our faith grow as a mustard seed grows. But it does mean healing and breakthrough depend upon God. Depend upon Christ. When somebody is not healed, it is not their fault. We believe God heals today. Amen? Secondly, we believe God is sovereign today. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's in control. He's in charge of everything. He's even sovereign over the devil. When healing doesn't come, what do we do? We keep praying. We don't give up hope. We trust the process. We learn to trust God in the process. We trust his timing. We trust his plan. Even though we might not understand with our finite minds how he can be working all things together for good, we know that the Bible says he is. And so we trust. Amen. Now, this moment, Jesus recognizes power has gone out from him as the woman lays hold of him. He turns around. He starts searching for her. He says, who has touched me? And the disciples are, are confused and they almost start to mock him, don't they? They say, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. But you see there's a difference, isn't there? There's a whole world of difference between brushing up against Jesus and touching him with faith. A whole world of difference. There are many who brush up against Christ 
who never are saved by him. There are many who press him in this life but never receive his power. There are professors at universities who spend their whole lives researching the scriptures but they've got no interest in reaching out in faith to the Lord that the scriptures preach. Many attend church for much of their life. They're familiar. They've pressed up against the Bible stories. They know them. But they've assumed they were already good people. They've assumed they were nice people, worthy and deserving of the love of God. They didn't see how they needed a Savior. So they never bothered to reach out and touch Christ with faith. If we are to receive Christ, it must be with faith. Association alone isn't good enough. Good works are not good enough. You personally have to reach out and touch Christ with faith. Nobody can do that for you. And no one is saved apart from faith in Christ. Before we begin to get ideas in our heads that we can boast and think that it was our faith that saved us because Jesus says your faith has made you well, let's remember this. Paul reasons, doesn't he, in the second chapter of Ephesians, and he says, for grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this, not of your own doing, not of your own doing, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that what? So that no one may boast. No one may boast. I think this is amazing. We're catching a sight of that mountaintop right now, of this doctrine of salvation. We see that faith is required for salvation. Faith is required for the power of Christ. But equally we see that it's also a gift of God. So it's required from you, but it's given to you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of grace. This is where the reformers differed from the the Catholic Church of the 15th and 16th centuries. This is why we differ from many churches around, is we believe the gospel is all of grace. Not grace plus works, not God plus you, not grace plus free will, grace alone. This is the dividing line of our times. What God requires of you, he works in you. Isn't that marvelous? Yes, you must believe in Christ to be saved. But is that faith a gift of God? The Bible says, yes, it is. Hallelujah. Wow, that's the gospel. The woman who'd been healed, we're told, is hiding. She doesn't want to be seen. She must have been scared. You know, Jesus is now looking for her. Why does he want to expose me? Is he going to rebuke me for touching him, for making him unclean? What would happen if he found her? I think this is an amazing passage as I wind down. I think if you've ever felt too sinful, too shameful, too dirty, too broken for Jesus, watch this. She comes to him trembling. She falls down. She doesn't know what he's about to say, what he's about to do. 
And she tells him, we're told, Panta Alethea, the whole truth. Everything. She doesn't spare any detail. She's honest with him. She's laid everything down. She's ready to be rebuked. But he blesses her. He declares her publicly clean. So now everybody knows she's been healed. Everyone sees she's clean. She can be restored to her family. She can be restored to her community. Jesus wasn't content with just healing somebody. He wanted to meet the person. He wanted to know the person he'd been healed, who'd been healed. I think this should encourage every single one of us. When we come before Jesus and we tell him the whole truth, all of our brokenness, our sin, our uncleanliness, our reasons why we probably shouldn't deserve mercy, that's when we receive mercy. That's when we receive Christ. John 6.37 says, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never, in fact, it's a double negative there in the Greek, I will never, ever cast out. Hallelujah. Now, at this point, Jairus' people come to him and they say, don't worry, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. You can imagine him standing there thinking, stupid woman. She's interrupted my miracle and now it's gone. Maybe he was feeling cross at Jesus even. You know, frustrated at Jesus. How has he let this happen? He was on his way to my house and he's let this woman come in and steal my miracle. He would have been frustrated maybe. Certainly we know from Jesus' words that Jairus was afraid. His faith starts to waver. Jesus hears what his people say and he turns and says to Jairus these words. He says, don't fear, only believe. Only believe. He encourages Jairus in Jairus' moment of wavering. When Jairus is looking at the circumstances and thinking, that's it, I'm done for. Jesus encourages his faith. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't punish him. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see when your faith wavers, Jesus is not punishing you. He's not coming to rebuke you for having little faith. He's coming to encourage you in your faith. He's an encourager of your faith, especially when it's wavering, especially when it's weak. Hallelujah. My faith has wavered several times in the past few weeks and Jesus has done nothing but encourage me. Hallelujah. He's an encourager of the faithful. When they arrive at the house, there's a commotion. We're told that Jesus sends out all of these hired mourners and he brings in with him just three disciples and the family. And there are many who teach interesting things about this. They say, well, you know, Jesus was trying to, he was trying to keep an, an atmosphere of faith. That's why he does it, because they're all unbelievers and he wants to preserve a, an atmosphere of faith. Uh, and I've, I've actually seen people practice this where, you know, they'll go in to pray for somebody who's sick and if they think anyone in the room, even you, is not manifesting faith, they'll say, please go outside. I only want people in here who have faith because they think they're doing what Jesus did here, protecting an environment of faith. But that, that's not what's happening. And we can tell that because of the last verse. We are in Capernaum. We are in a Jewish town. 
Up until now in Mark's gospel, every time Jesus has worked a miracle, what has he said when he's in Jewish territory? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Why? Because he is afraid the Jews were going to take him by force and make him Messiah. And he knew it wasn't his time, didn't he? We learned the other week, why did he send the Gentile demoniac guy away to evangelize? Because he's not in Jewish territory. Nobody there is going to say, oh, he's the Messiah, let's make him Messiah. So he can send that guy out to evangelize. Why does he put everyone outside? Because he knows he's about to raise a girl from the dead. If they see him raise someone from the dead this early in his ministry, he knows what's going to happen. So he puts them outside. Why? To protect himself and his ministry from being hijacked by these people who don't understand. That's why he sends them out, okay? Jesus doesn't need an environment of faith to heal. Now, you might say, well, in in Nazareth, you know, he he couldn't heal anyone because of faith. Well, he still healed a lot. If you read the actual verse, he still healed many. He doesn't need to create or cultivate some environment. He he healed many people who were skeptical. He healed in front of skeptics all the time. Okay, so he, he speaks to the girl. He calls her Talitha Kumi. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And she gets up. She starts walking. Jesus says, give her something to eat. This girl's been raised from the dead. And the condition that killed her is gone. She wants food. Completely healed. Now again, as we finish, I just want you to see this. You are glimpsing the mountaintop here. This again, we're looking up to this doctrine we call salvation in the church. We're looking at a parallel here of how you and how anybody who comes to Christ is saved. And this is important. I want you to listen to this carefully. This is detailed and this is theology, but it's important. Okay, When God saves you, When God saved you, if you are saved, how many of you would say you're saved, just out of interest? When God did that, okay, when he did that, he raised you from the dead. He raised you from the dead. You were dead as a doorknob. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses, as Paul says in Ephesians. What can a dead person do to help themselves out? of that situation nothing a dead person can't respond to God so what does this mean when God saves somebody he's not throwing them a lifeline you've heard that one before the picture of God throwing somebody a lifeline who's out at sea and they're struggling here's Jesus you know I'll haul you in as R.C. Sproul said you're not swimming in the open seas you're dead at the bottom When he saves you, he dives in there. He pulls you up from the bottom of the ocean. He pumps all the water out of your lungs. He resuscitates you. He gives you new life. That's salvation. That's how awful the situation you were in before. Salvation isn't God giving us a helping hand. It's not him saying, hey, look, here's a better way for you to live. Make you more successful, happier, richer. No, that's not it at all. Don't believe anybody who says that. Don't go to any church where they preach that. You were dead in your sins. You were just like this girl. And it was Christ's word that raised her. And it's Christ's word that raised you. It was the gospel. It wasn't your free will. It wasn't your exceptional knowledge. No, it was his word that raised every single one of you in here. And this is why we believe that the Bible teaches clearly that it's God who should get all the glory. 
in our salvation. We don't share that glory with him. It's him and him alone. And we can't claim any of it since we had nothing to do with it. Jairus' daughter couldn't wake up and say, well, I'm, I'm glad I had my ears open to listen because if I hadn't, Jesus couldn't have saved me. No, she was dead. Jesus says she's only sleeping, but what happens? They laugh him off. She's dead. The same is true of salvation. No share of the glory can come to us. This phrase that we speak of in this church, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. That was the cry of the reformers, and I'm telling you now we need to return to that today. We need to return to that doctrine once again. Too many Christians are out there trying to share God's glory. Trying to, as God's standing here receiving the glory, they're coming up there going, yeah, me too, me too. You know, wow, I'm so, I'm so glad I had my free will and made my choice for Jesus. I have decided, listen, as we've said already in this preach, yes, you make a decision for Jesus. Yes, you must have faith, but what is faith? It is a gift of God to the dead sinner. God makes his children alive. God raised you from the dead. And that's why he gets all the glory. I want to take a moment and pray. If you're here today and you're aware of a physical issue, you've got a health condition, you're sick, injured, whatever it might be, why not just take a moment right now and have faith? And believe God, just like that woman who reached out and touched the garment, that he can heal. I know I want healing. How about you? So we're going to pray for that. And then we are going to give God glory. I'm going to get Mike back up to uh, lead us, if he's still awake. <laughs> but let's pray. I want you, if you are aware of any physical condition, just to lay your hand on whatever part of your body it is that's causing you pain or making you sick and we're going to simply just ask the Lord to come and heal us and we'll see what he does simple as that secondly if you're here today and you know in your heart of hearts you've never reached out with proper faith you've never realized your desperate need of Jesus you've just kind of bumped up against him in church I would encourage you right now in whatever way you can to reach out and touch him with real faith say I need you Jesus nothing else will do no one else can save me only you I'd encourage you to do that so Father God we thank you that you are here by your spirit today and the Bible says that you are the same yesterday today and forever we know that the Bible reveals you as Jehovah Rapha, a healing God. And so God, in the room right now, there are many of us who are suffering with physical illnesses. We know you can heal them. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would heal every single person who is reaching out by faith and believing for a healing today whether it be stomach issues, whether it be cancer, whether it be headaches, whether it be viruses, whatever it may be, we pray in the name of Jesus, healing come through your 
sacrifice. In the name of Jesus, amen. And Lord, we thank you for saving us today. We thank you that we were raised from the dead, just like Jairus' daughter. And today we want to say you get all the glory. Receive all the glory for what you've done in our lives. God, that we've been given new life with you, that we have peace with you through Jesus. We thank you for this wonderful work of salvation. Amen.